Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by you, the fans. That's right. You can support this podcast on patreon.com slash Blue Breakaway. You can have it ad-free. No pre-roll, no post-roll, no mid-roll. None of it for you. For the price of a cup of coffee a month, support this podcast. That's been going for 352 straight weeks Never taking a break. Speaking of taking a break, I'm currently on vacation. That's right, I'm tricking you. I recorded this a week ago. So if any Ranger news happened after August 5th, my birthday, I don't know about it. My phone's off. Don't even, don't try. Don't tag me. I don't know. I don't care. I'll come back. Everything's going to be okay. I promise. But uh, with that being said, we have a fun show today. How do we do Rangers content in August? We did so like a David Quinn retrospective. We talked about the East versus the West this year in the NHL. Honestly, it's a shocking revelation. We have some pretty good BSBOTs this week. A uh, fun episode. I, I honestly, I'm pretty impressed. We did it on uh, when we did for August. So, without further ado, here's me and Greg talking about the New York Rangers, a little bit of uh, East versus West, West NHL, and of course NHL, uh, NHL, MLB trade deadline breakdown at the end. Okay, here we go. Here's Mark Messier. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Breakaway fans, welcome to the week of the Bushes Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, a man of many talents, Greg Kaplan. How are you? Oh, yeah, we're sprucing up that resume, buddy. <laughs> I can't. How does it happen again? It's, I was, so I, um, a, a little, know. a little carrot to dangle for some people because later this week, they're going to get the Moneyball episode, but I was recording the Moneyball full breakdown episode with our buddy Fitz and our buddy Vinny, uh, and I was telling the story about how my job got eliminated on the anniversary of the day we put up the billboard. Are you wait? No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, man. That that is that is the day we put up the billboard. That was it. It August second is a cursed day for Greg Kaplan. Wow. Wow. It's my birthday week too. This is incredible. Um, we are recording uh-huh. early. So if anybody is listening to this now, I'm in Montreal. Greg is taking a week off. From the podcast and his other job because he doesn't have one now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you could call it taking a week off. I was given a week yeah, off. Yeah, you Ryan. were forcibly what... told to not come in. Oh my in. god, what a what a day! Um, I was literally. I'm sure I told this story on OT. Which spoiler alert: we haven't recorded for the prior week yet. But Ryan, I was literally working on a project for work, and I got kicked out of email. Now it's not the first time it's happened. Every week it resets or something. I got to re-enter my password. Not a big deal. I go to re-enter my password. And they're like, that's not your password. And I was like, well, that's odd. So I that's texted. That's my password. <laughs> I texted our group, our group company, me- uh, big group message. And I was like, hey, is anybody else having a problem with emails right now? And instead of answering me, the next thing it says is you have left the conversation. And I was like, well, now I didn't do that. I know I didn't hit that button. So I texted two other people being like, guys, is there something going on? And the next thing I got was a text message from my piece of shit, former fucking twat of a boss. Well, don't burn bridges, and, okay. <laughs> and and uh, all it says is, please check your personal email. Motherfucker didn't have time to fucking call me. 
They just emailed my other email account being like, yeah, your position's been eliminated. I'm like, what? Are you shaking me? I knew, I knew this company was shady. You and I have had conversations about how shady this company is. Again, this is a company that legally was breaking the law because they weren't paying me health insurance. And I accepted that and I understood that. I didn't think they were this shady, though. And that's on me. Quite frankly, that's on me. Hand up. I fucked up. That's, up. that's my fault. Well, if you are out there hiring and need a content strategist or PR person, uh, Greg, me, baby. Greg Kaplan available for you. Or like a radio show host. I don't know. Yeah, I, have, I have some talents. A lot of talents, both of us. That's for sure. Professional uh, gambler? Probably not that one. Unless you want like your company to make money off of me, that's possible. Yeah. If you want to be, as a, I think that's called a bookie. I can't be sure. Um, interesting show today because it is a week in advance. Not that the... I think the biggest Ranger news yesterday was they signed somebody I had never heard of before. And we also found somebody on their on their uh, their roster page on NHL.com that I'd also never heard of. So that's that's about as far as the Ranger news goes. Who was it? CJ – what is his name? CJ Smith. No, CJ Smith, no, Smith was the guy that they signed that day. It was Turner Elson. Woo! How many times yeah, have we I talked about CJ Smith and Turner Elson this season over under one and a half? One and a half. You could have done a half. Yeah. I, I no, well, that – now, hold on. I know there's going to be a random day in November where someone's going to get injured. We're going to go, you think this is it for Turner? And we're just going to keep bringing it up as, like, one of those kind of jokes. Yes. It's Turner Ilson, I think, will see play. CJ Smith, not so sure. What do you mean we'll see – no, we're not going to – Ryan, something went terribly wrong if we see either of them play. Oh, I mean play on the show. Oh, okay. I got, got on. CJ Smith, yeah, poor guy. Yeah, poor guy. That's it. He was part of the roster development camp in 2016. Awesome. Great. That's as far as it goes. He's uh, going to make a, a quarter of a million dollars in Hartford. I, I, that's enough to feed the family. God bless him. Dude, that's actually a pretty good salary to play yeah. hockey in, in the AHL. So yeah. good, good for him. Uh, other than that, we have a, a great show where we talk about baseball, some hypotheticals. And I guess we'll start with um, last week we didn't talk about it too much on the show. But this week seems like a good time to kind of bring it up. David Quinn has a job again. In, mm-hmm. in San Jose, and you and mm-hmm. I were up close and personal with the David Quinn experience. Actually, oh, it was... I, you, you could say some of our finest podcasts came out of the David Quinn experience. I agree with you. And it was obnoxious because we became known as, I think at the time, David Quinn Defenders. And I think yes. that's because they, the, the hate went too far. I, don't, I still don't think the, the hate on David Quinn was as appropriate as it was. All coaches have their own flaws. But he's still not a great coach. I think you and I can agree with that. It's not that we weren't saying he wasn't a good coach. We were just saying that some every single decision he made was the end of the world for some people. And uh, that just wasn't the case. There was a lot of bad. There was a lot of good. But uh, he starts off on the wrong foot in San Jose by saying, Hey, San Jose Sharks fans, it's me, David Quinn, coach of the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> um, yeah. Great job. A, a lot of our David Quinn conversations... The point we would make often and we would try to stress is that David Quinn essentially is the Kirk Cousins of the NHL coaching world, right? We said he was painfully league average. You could do worse. You could do better. If you had David Quinn, you were at the floor, right? That That is essentially what we were saying. And we use David Quinn as an example against guys like Gerard Gallant, essentially saying that You have problems with David Quinn. I promise you, you're going to have problems with the next guy. And that the problems you're having with Quinn aren't the end-all, be-all that you want them to be. Now, it's important that we stress again, we were extremely critical of a lot of the decisions David Quinn made. Specifically, uh, using the line blender too much and not giving kids the opportunities we thought not necessarily they deserved, but that they should just straight up be given. Those were probably the big tenets of our David Quinn complaints. But David Quinn, the man manager, we didn't really have anything bad to say. Um, We didn't trust David Quinn's X's and O's, but I don't think you and I ever had like a, why is he doing this? Right, because the difference between, so the big difference in the X's and O's is Gallant has a system he wants his players to play, whereas Quinn was pretty okay with allowing his good players to just be good players and let them go the out blue there and do line. Like that's yeah. like he he let Artemi Panarin be himself. Like if you want to talk yes. about a, a plus of David Quinn, Gerard Gallant clearly in some ways 
tries to change Panarin's games to fit his style, which is like yes. that's that's part of the coaching. David Quinn said, "Screw the kids' development. I don't care about that. But what I do care about is my star players, Mika Zibanejad, and Artemi Panarin, to just do whatever they do best." And I know Gallant simplified the system down. We talked about that forever at the beginning of the season. Vince has mentioned it on the show. But with Quinn, it was more like a... It wasn't really a system. It was like, Artemi Panarin, you are a star, and I need you to take over this game and keep me in my job. Didn't happen, yeah. but for a lot of reasons. But I, I, I will say, I, I do think one of the problems with David Quinn, one of the problems, and again, there were, there were a handful, is that... He allowed his veteran players to just be themselves, but the kids had to play a certain way. And I think that was a frustration. We not just we felt, but all of the fans felt where like Capo Caco had to do certain things to move up the lineup depth chart. Whereas Artemi, I, it's one of those things where when you say it, of course it makes perfect sense. Like, how do you coach Artemi Panarin? That guy's a star athlete. He should be able to do whatever he wants to do. How do you coach Mika Zibanejad? That guy's a star player. He should be able to do whatever he wants to do. At the same time, it's like there were no rules for the veterans and there were very strict rules for the kids. Whereas I feel like developmental coaches should just be like, you know what? No rules across the board. And I think that was probably our biggest hiccup. Like, yes, the New York Rangers, even then, had star players on the power play that kids weren't going to play over for sure. But, you know, Colin Blackwell was a fixture on the second line in his final season in New York when that just shouldn't have been the case. Yeah. Flat like, out. For the future of the New York Rangers wasn't on Colin Blackwell. It wasn't right. <laughs> like the Rangers weren't winning the Stanley cup that year. Anyway, no matter what happened, I, you know, we all, all as fans, we all want to win. We all want to win a playoff series. We think it's important. I think the playoffs this year and the experience the kids had was tremendously important. But Colin Blackwell playing on that line and not Kako or even Lafreniere, it's like, what? What? <laughs> what are we doing? What exactly is going on? And and people were getting dragged up and down the lineup. Like, Julian Gauthier played a lot under David Quinn. And David Quinn went on some podcasts after. I think he went on Cam and Stick, I think it was. And I remember that one of the quotes that was kind of buried and not really talked about, he was like, you know, I had, you know, Capococco and all these young kids that were like 2019. Like, I mean, come on, what could I do with them? Well, that's on you, dude. Like, <laughs> you have top draft picks. What can you do with them? You could do a lot with top draft picks. It's up to you. It's actually your job to unlock what their potential. I know it's on them as well to grind and do whatever they can, but it, your system I mean, took Capococco from being a dynamic offensive player in his draft profile to being an absolute shell of himself uh, for a lot of confident reasons. And then we get to, you know, the most infamous Quinn thing. What do you think of Quinn? What do you think of first? Because I have the answer. Uh, fucking rabbit ears. Yeah, that and the blender. Those are the big The two. line blender. Now, hold on. Before I do think we need, before we go back to talking about a negative, I think we need to interrupt this regularly scheduled David Quinn shitposting by pointing out two things that we have to... At least two things, I would say even three things, that David Quinn deserves a lot of credit for. Number one, um, you, it's been two years, and this power play is incredible. That is David Quinn's creation. It is now, David Quinn's power play, and he'll never now, get credit for it. Right. Now, again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say putting Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, Adam Fox, and anybody else on a top power play unit that you've created a great power play unit. At the same time, we went through coaches who, for reasons, wouldn't just put their best players on the top power play unit, and they tried to make equal and balanced power plays. And guess what? For the New York Rangers, for a very long time, it just didn't work. David Quinn was like, I have these stars. I'm going to accentuate these stars in a position where they have a higher chance of scoring goals, and I bet you it works. And you know what? It does. Is it frustrating? For us, that Ryan Strom was member number five of that original band, yes. Is it going to be frustrating for us when Vincent Trocek is member number five of that band? Also, I'm yes. already upset about it. <laughs> it's but at the same time, credit where credit is due. That is David Quinn's creation. A second coach realizes it's so good that there's no point in tinkering with it, and we know how good the Rangers' power play is. That's him. Point number two, and it's hard to talk about it because he's not here anymore, but it's a very important point. 
No player flourished more under David Quinn than Pavel Buchnevich. That man's game went to a completely different level. And part of it is simply because he was out from under the suffocating pillow that was Elaine Vigneault. At the same time, I think a lot of the reasons why we were frustrated with how Quinn handled Kako twice and Lafreniere once is because we saw how Pavel Buchnevich's game exploded under David Quinn, and we thought similar things could be possible for other children. It was Quinn who put him on the top line and glued him to Kreider and Zibanejad. It was Quinn who put him on the penalty kill, and Buchnevich's game took another huge step forward. David Quinn made or allowed Pavel Buchnevich to be such a force and true top-line player that we were all pissed off when he was traded for a second-round pick in Sammy Blake. Buchnevich got to that level under David Quinn. We have to give credit for Quinn unlocking those things in his game. It doesn't matter if we can sit here and say it was always there with Buchnevich. Quinn allowed it to grow, and you have to give credit to the coach when you give a player runway to expand their game, and that's exactly what Quinn did. You can make and a very you know similar what? argument, by the way, for Adam Fox. That's my, that was going to be my third point, Ryan. Yep. As much as we slam him for for stunt or seemingly stunting the growth of some of the children, he let Adam Fox thrive, and he kept finding new situations to put Adam Fox in to tinker with his game. It remember power play one wasn't always Adam Fox. It was Tony D'Angelo. It was Tony D'Angelo. Yes, and uh, right away it was like actually no, we're going to demote Tony. Like after. Fox showed a little bit, and and like I think the first time he ran a power play, it was like, okay, no, we have something special. But and- op- opening night, opening night, Fox was a little sheltered of the 2019 season. And by the fourth week of the season, Adam Fox was essentially already number one defenseman. And Quinn was just like this. He allowed the runway for Adam Fox to fucking become a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. He didn't hold him back. He's, he just let him go. Again, it's it, – the duality of David Quinn is we say these things where we have to give him credit and it makes the things he didn't do all the more frustrating. Again, he did it with Buchnevich and Fox. So it drives you mad that he didn't do it with Kako and Lafreniere. It really does. And I completely understand this. And I'm not saying that we all need to be thankful for David Quinn in hindsight. Again, I am always for trying to upgrade over the painfully average coach. And I do think Gerard Gallant is a slight upgrade, but at the time of the firing and hiring of Gallant, I think people were of the mindset it was like an 80% increase when it was probably only 20. Agreed. Agreed. It. I think Quinn does get some... This is why we became infamous Quinn defenders because no one, not nobody, but I would say very few people were saying these things about David Quinn. Extremely. He's had, it, was he, very, it was very easy to dunk on Quinn. And don't get me wrong. Very right, we, we dunked on him. We talked on him plenty. Oh, he deserved and it. And you brought up the line blender. I think, to me, I think the thing that is, it's the first thing we think about now, mostly because of Gerard Gallant currently. Gallant doesn't Gallant line blend so at rigid. all. He's just, yeah. here's he's, what they he's are. He's so rigid. And the only time he'll move a line up or down or a player up and down, it's purely based on punishment. It's never because... He wants to elevate a player who's playing really well. It's just because a player is not playing well at all, which is frustrating. At the same time, equally frustrating is not being able to stick with a line after 10 minutes. The running joke we would have in the podcast, Ryan, is they would post the lines these before lines the game, and matter. you and I would both say, it's like, these lines don't matter. They don't. Wake and they up didn't. when it's the second it, period. It was like seven minutes in. I remember there was one game where Kako was on, like, the first line, I was like, he'll be on the third, like, 11 minutes in. And he was. It was just like, okay, cool. That's It didn't fucking matter. Whatever with David Quinn. The lines lines were made up, and the points didn't matter at all. And that just was yeah. the David Quinn experience. He would. The only line that would stay intact would be Kreider, Zibanejad, Buchnevich. And then you were pretty sure Panarin and Strom would stay together. But it was a revolving door who was going to be in the Colin Blackwell spot. It was a revolving door about if whether the kids would be on the third line or the fourth line. And it was a revolving door. Everything was a revolving door. And another thing that David Quinn, how many times, Ryan, how many fucking times would we turn on a Ranger game within the first five minutes, the Rangers seemingly unprepared would give up an early goal? 
every oh, like the entire fucking season. game. He would they were yeah. never prepared for early season. Like this year's team, they had they had that kind of like, hey, you know, it's the first period or one period a game they wouldn't play. It was really hard for the Rangers this year to play a complete sixty. I think you and I can right. agree that was a trend of this season. Yes. But they would play a good first, but the the thing is, they always played a great third, right? Always. It would either the first would be good, the second would be an egg. The first would be an egg, the second would be good. No matter what happened, the New York Rangers were playing a great third period. No matter what, this whole year. But the trend, those the Quinn years, is that they weren't ready for the first eight minutes. It seems right, like and and players, we would come on this podcast yeah. every week and say that this is squarely on the coach. Rule number one is you have to have your players prepared to play the opponent that shows up to the arena that day. And constantly, David Quinn failed that test. It was time and time again. It would be shit like starting Steve Camper on defense. Oh, my God. And do you remember Steve Camper? <laughs> yeah, I do. I sure do. Boy, we watched him uh, get, uh, like, de-pantsed at, I think, a hurricane game. I think it was Henry. Funny enough, it was Henrik Lundqvist's last home game at MSG. We had a sweet game there. And he, uh, Steve Camper got totally just pantsed and uh, let up a goal. Good times. Very good times. Uh, yeah, I think that's like the David Quinn had a, an interesting tenure. I, I wonder if the Sharks see him. I know he's friends with Mike Greer. I wonder if the Sharks see him as like the developmental next kind of like build this team up because the Sharks are in a long-term rebuild. I think you and I can agree, but they do have hurdle for the next seven years. And they got Timo Meyer, and they still got Kevin LeBanc. They have very good players. They have bloated contracts as well. Like Eric Carlson just isn't that dude anymore. Neither is Mark Edward. He was Plastic. never that dude after the foot injury versus the Yes, yeah, but again. I do wonder with Quinn, it's it to a certain extent, like every coach usually takes a significant step forward in their second job because they've learned some they've learned from some of their mistakes. Like Will Quinn be as helter skelter on the line blender. It's hard to believe he will be, right? It, it, you just, as we're sitting here talking about it, you have to think he took a step back. He probably watched a handful of Ranger games last year just because curiosity kills the cat. And he had to see that the team was playing better simply by having continuity. And while I'm not saying he's never going to change his lines, he just, it's impossible for me to sit here and say he's going to continue to change lines every seven minutes. I just, I can't see that happening. So I don't think Ranger fans should get necessarily um, nostalgic or worried that Quinn seemingly has learned from the error of ways. That's why, that is to a certain extent why it's hard to hire first time coaches in the NHL. And that's why specifically in the NHL or any league, but specifically the NHL, teams are against hiring the first time head coach because they don't want to be part of the learning process. They'd rather you learned all your errors and you just come in and be the guy who gets shit done, which is exactly why you go from Quinn to Gerard Gallant. That's 1,000% the mindset that gets you from that to this. We're in August, but so I'll, I think I can talk about this. I do wonder how long the Gallant thing lasts here in New York. I think I, I don't think there's – you know what? This is a very similar conversation we had after the first year of David Quinn. There is nothing I don't think the New York Rangers, outside of a monumental Islander-esque – run of in like just terrible. total collapse just right like everything went wrong 10 games under 500 doesn't look competitive not even injuries you could hang your hat on just a horrible start to the season then maybe Gerard Gallant will be in hot water next year but coming off the year he just had if the Rangers are hanging around playoff contention all year long Gallant will get a third year the leash will be shorter in year three, but there's realistically speaking, there's nothing Gerard Gallant can do this year to jeopardize him. It's funny. I agree with you, but I also can't see him being a coach for four years of the Rangers. No, no. But at the same time, Ryan, I can't see a lot of dudes being a coach for four years anymore. That's just not there's how coaching. There's only like three guys. It's like, it's the three guys you would want it to be, right? John Cooper, Mike Sullivan, Barry Trotz, Rod, Bruce Cassidy, maybe, Rod's and Rod Brindamore. Sure. Yep. Like that's it, but it it go you know Ryan it really makes you think the really good coaches you would run around for very long and the replaceable coaches you just want to keep replacing them, go figure. And I think a lot of people listening to this will say, well, Gallant's not a replaceable coach at least after uh, this maybe. first year. Well, I mean his last two stops say otherwise. I think his message kind of wears thin after year three. 
where like yes. he, he gets out X's and O's. Like it's the players crave a little bit more structure instead of the free play, uh, and the, it just something that has to change. And I do wonder. I'm not predicting this or anything, but I I I'd be pressed to see him here in the fourth year. I I think that I don't think he makes it to that fourth year, no matter really what happens, unless they yeah. win a Stanley Cup champion or or their or their Eastern Conference Finals again two more times. Then like, how do you get rid of him? No matter what, but outside of that, I don't see it. No chance. Yeah, I he has to. The Rangers have to go on a very long playoff run this year for me to feel confident about a fourth year. If the Rangers just have an also ran season where maybe they're a wild card team, they get eliminated in the first of the second round. It's a year where like after the year the Rangers had, you expected a big step forward. Like here's the thing: the Rangers have now put themselves in a position. I'm curious where you stand on this. Where if they don't reach the Eastern Conference Final, it's kind of a failure. It's funny we start talking about this because we're going to do season previews over the next couple of weeks uh, upon my return and start getting ready for the season. Camp's going to open and we'll start having these conversations. And I think I think the Pittsburgh Penguins, let's use these, this team as an example because I think it, mm-hmm. they're, they're a team that's won a lot of championships. They have a lot of high expectations. They have great players. And they've, they've made a lot of runs. But they've also lost a lot in the first round. How many Penguins mm-hmm. fans do you think would say – the last five years, even though they were great seasons, were successful. Almost few. none. Very yeah, few. few. Because pe- the Penguins have won enough cups where you're measuring your success about, did we raise another banner? Exactly. Oh, and they've lost to Montreal in like a play-in yeah. tournament. They lost to Carey Price. They lost to the Rangers this year in a heartbreaking fashion. Uh, clearly, they didn't have their starting goalie. It doesn't really matter. Does the series lost. They lost. They were up 3-1. They had every chance to win. Every single chance. They did not. And they've, they, they lost to the Rangers 3-1 another time, a couple years back. And those years are really devastating. So I think if the Rangers lose in the first round, we're kind of already at this point where it's like, oh yeah, this year was sort of a failure. Like they need to at least make the second round and make it competitive. Well, I was, I'll say there are only, I'll say there are only two teams in New York that play by these rules where making the playoffs isn't enough. If you're a Yankee fan, the Yankees for sure. making the playoffs isn't enough. And if you're a Ranger fan, Moving into next uh, this year, if the Rangers made the playoffs and did nothing, probably would have been frustrated, but we wouldn't have called the season a failure. No, we like said were, make it the playoffs and make it a good first round series, and we'll be happy. That's what all right. we wanted. But now that the Rangers are back to being the Rangers in a lot of people's estimations, like making the playoffs isn't enough. We expect you in the playoffs. Just because you're there, you, like that's only one check mark. You're, you're, the homework assignment is not complete. All you've done is answer the first question. You got four more you need to answer. The Rangers and the Yankees are the only two teams in New York that play by these rules. Even as great of a year the Mets are having, I promise you, I will consider this season a success if they win the division. Like if if they win the division, get the first round by, and then immediately lose, I'd be like, well, we won the division. I got to be happy about that. The Giants and the Jets, you just want winning seasons. The Knicks. You just don't want them to be a dumpster. Honestly, fight. just just having people show up to the garden and get excited. <laughs> is, yeah. So is the amazing. Knicks, the Knicks and the Yankees, the, not the Knicks. The Yankees and the Rangers are truly the only two teams in New York that play by different rules. And we're not counting in the Nets. That, that that's not the Knicks. The Nets don't play in New York. They do. All right. Yeah, the I know they play in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Doesn't doesn't make sense though. Just the same thing. The Islanders don't play in New York. They play on Long Island. Like we're not talking about the Sabers and the Bills here either, Chief. So we're, we're talking not. New York City talking new york city and the bills uh, fans by the way they have sta- they have a stanley cup champion <laughs> aspirations for sure sure they won't get there but sure they have the aspirations anyway i don't need to get into another fight with buffalo listen i have enough that's true that's true let's now. say we've, uh, we've already really relived the anniversary so i uh i i'll just i'll say that the rangers next season I just, I have, and I know we're going to talk about this more, so we don't need to go in depth with it now, but I just, I have a hard time sitting here on August, date to be determined, because I don't remember what day actually this gets released. Yeah, I will tell you, I have a hard... I'm a good producer, it is the 9th. August 9th, in the future. Um, I have a hard time thinking that I will be able to call the Rangers season a success if they don't at least get to the Eastern Conference Final. And if you're playing, if you're playing by those rules, you're playing with very short leashes where a manager, like, do I think Aaron Boone is the worst manager in baseball? No, but the Yankees haven't lived up to the expectations we expected them. So every two days you hear someone say Aaron Boone probably isn't the guy. 
And I just think that leash, when you're when James Dolan is your owner, is significantly shorter. I think people don't realize how short some leashes are with the Rangers. I think people think Chris Drury is like super solidified. He is not. I know the Eastern Conference Finals, really important. Great first step for Chris Drury. Uh, Dolan wants to win. He's not fucking around. Nick at all. And the East is, by the way, no joke. Yet again. I, th- I think almost every single team in the Atlantic got better. Significantly. But, I mean, just think about it, Ryan. They're in the Metro alone. One of these five teams, the Hurricanes, the Rangers, the Penguins, the Capitals, and the Islanders won't make the playoffs. They will. One of these teams will have to finish fifth in the Metro. And I know we can all sit here and say, well, it'll be the Islanders. I, I can't tell you shit. that. Exactly. And I can't tell you that, like, every one of those teams, you can make an argument for them not just being in the top four, but being in the top two. You really can. And one of those teams, by the nature of this division, is going to have to finish fifth. And that doesn't just – we haven't even gotten into the fact that the Blue Jackets are definitely better. They signed the John Devils Hockey. are better, too. Like, let's not fuck around. Like, Jack uh, I Listen, J- yes, Jesper Bratt may not be long for this world. I, know I mean, he, five, signed, he, he, he just, signed – He signed his 5.4 He signed a one-year deal, now. Ryan, which yeah. means, you know, things aren't great in fucking Newark. I would say that's true. But I, I think the Devils take a step forward this year as well. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff Only the team. Flyers are guaranteed to be bad. The Flyers, the Flyers are. Gar- but also, they're going to play hard. They're going to be assholes to play against with Torts. Like, it's not like they're going to be walkovers or pushovers. Well, no, but Torts can go one of two ways. He makes that team harder to play against. That team doesn't or they are fully they fucking hate him. Yes. Yeah. Like, there's a level of implosion that the Flyers can still achieve that I am rooting very hard for. But, like, like seriously, let's name bad teams in the East. Okay, let's start. Philadelphia. Great. Got there. How do you feel about Buffalo this year? They're a team trending in the right direction. I can't call them good yet, though. They're I like, can't call them good they're either. They're not the but, Orioles this year. They're the Orioles but, last year. But when you're year. playing Buffalo, it's not like, ah, oh, free W, put it on the board. Eh, I feel very confident. I feel I feel very I I still get annoyed if the Rangers don't get a full two points against Buffalo. But I totally agree, but it's not easy. It's not easy, like especially on certain back-to-backs and stuff like that. We're playing good teams. Not easy. All right, this is the last one I think I have. Montreal? Yeah, Montreal should still be three points. That's Ottawa it. got significantly better. Detroit, Detroit also trending in the right direction. Yeah. I still Detroit Detroit is probably the next team after Montreal that I would put there where like I'm still expected to beat them, but I know in two years they're gonna really fucking piss me off. Um but, but yeah, dude, the East is the East is a monster. But then you go look it at the West and it's like wow. It's the Flames so got significantly worse. The yes. Canucks are still bad. The Kings aren't ready. Yeah, you you go down the list, buddy, and it's like I wish we were San playing. San Jose, the like Predators I know Anaheim's taking a step forward. Was, they got Zayrus, they tried Strom, they got Klingberg. Seattle's a mess. Is Nashville even? Tr- what, what are they like? The guy Ryan McDonough, they're trying to do. The Jets are like in turmoil. Chicago is trying to get the first overall the, pick. Arizona's the, over there. This, this used to happen all the time in the NBA, right? Where one conference was just significantly better than the other conference, and it was a bit of a joke. Um, like, for the longest time, your fifth seed in the East was a team that was under 500. Can, can we do an exercise? Because I think this is genuinely interesting. We okay. we agree Colorado is the best team in the league. No doubt. Yes. No doubt about it. How many teams do we have to name to get to the second best Western Conference team? Uh, let me pull up the... I have so we do. Carolina is better than anybody else in the West. Well, it's tough because, like, I personally have expectations for Vegas. I think they but, gave away okay, too much. So let's do this. I, I okay. Let's let let's try this exercise. The Panthers, we still think, are better. Right? <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. That they have. I would say they're better. They have Matthew Kachuk. The, the Lightning, we'd still say, are better. Yep. The Leafs, we'd still say. Should be better. The Leafs should be better than I think. Yep. Who's the second best team in the West? That's another question we have to even answer. Is it? Is it the Oilers? Is it Vegas? I think it's. This is why I'm. This is what I'm saying, dude. I think it's Vegas by default, just because there's a stink on Edmonton we can't shake off, right? And like and Mark they... Stone comes back this year, gets a full year with Eichel. Leonard comes and they back. have Bruce Cassidy now. Bruce Cassidy, their like de- their defense but it, is a little suspect. So the, the argument, the argument is less that like I think I think confidently it's Vegas, and it's that I can't sit here and say it's Calgary, Edmonton, Minnesota, or St. Louis. Yes, I can't say. Which it. means, which means, all right. So let's say Vegas. We agree. Yeah. T- Toronto and Florida and Tampa Bay are better than Vegas. 
Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Carolina, all better than Vegas. Yes. I, I think where you get then is I'm not confident Boston is, all things considered, especially with their injuries. And I'm not confident the Rangers are. I think the you could, I think you make a case right here. This is where the Rangers like Rangers are pretty close to Vegas. I think they're pretty yes. close. I think they are on the same level. Agreed. And they way way better goaltending, not even close. So Yes, and I would say better depth too. I, I agree. So that so means the Rangers would be the second best team in the Western Conference. That's my fucking point. <laughs> <laughs> the, not only that, the Rangers would be the second best conference in the West and the and probably the best team in the Pacific. Not yes, not close. And instead, I'm saying that there's a chance the Rangers realistically, just because of the nature of the Metropolitan, could be worried about making the playoffs. They're probably like the sixth best team in the East. Fifth or they're sixth no higher, best team. They're no higher than – you can't realistically say they're higher than fifth. Which and is again, I know, I know we all dunk. I know we all dunk on Toronto. Right. I know we all dunk on well, Toronto. Well, they deserve it. Yes, but they are a great regular season team. Amazing. Would I want to play – would I want to play t- – like if the Rangers were six and Toronto was three, would I live for that matchup? Absolutely. But at the same time, I don't see a scenario in which the Rangers would be the three seed and Toronto would be the six seed. I don't see it either. So that's that's the I, I just want to make it clear to people listening at home that's the point ryan and i are making not necessarily that the rangers can't beat any of these teams in a best of seven series it's that in the regular season i can't put the rangers ahead of toronto it's not only the other point we're making is the rangers play all these teams way more than they play yes. in the western conference it, it is way it is a more. huge schedule the Colorado avalanche had 119 points this year I legitimately think they could break that next year. Could they go? Could could, could they break one twenty six? They might be. Able I mean, to. they went fifty six, nineteen, and seven. Well, here's the argument for why they could: is Arizona hasn't gotten better, Chicago has gotten worse. I'd say Nashville hasn't gotten better. I'd say Dallas hasn't gotten better. I'd say St. Louis has. Who's gotten have- better? In the West. Las Vegas. Yeah, well, but did they? They traded Pacioretty for nothing. Stolen coming back is a big deal. And, sure. And L.A. That's who got better. And Anaheim. That's it. Like, Edmonton might have gotten better if Jack Campbell is that dude, but I don't have confidence. Is Jack Campbell that dude? dude? The Leafs were like, no, he's not. Like, nobody in the West slam dunk better. Nobody. They might not do it because Georgiev's going to let in some breakaways. And they're losing Kadri, we we assume. We assume. And, well, of course, he's an Islander. You know, he's an Islander. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but, yeah, to your to your point. Right. God, I hate the NHL. This league sucks. It does suck. It does suck. We like, the Flames it. had 111 points last year. Do I yep. think they get to 90 this year? I don't know if they do. I don't think so. Not Not as currently constructed. I guess they get Weger and, and, and Hubie. Let's see what they can do. I mean, you lost Kachuk and Johnny Goodrow. That's rough. <laughs> that like, is not good. <laughs> even if you want to, if you want to make the argument that Uberdo is a, he's a, Equal? at least on the level of Johnny Hockey, you still right. haven't replaced Kachuk. Yeah, and that's that's rough, man. That's not good. It's not good, but. All right, want to do a five star question? We're gonna spend some time on. Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to take a break first? Yeah, transition. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no gas. We don't need to. It's one, it's one file. Hey, uh, I listen, Chief. I didn't know if you wanted to add an ad. We are, no, we're not adding this. Uh, we have one at the beginning. Oh, so, surprise. surprise! By the way, we're on it. Welcome to the Red Circle era of Blue Shirts. I, uh, I already made an announcement last week uh, uh, before the show. Hey, if you don't want ads, you can go to Patreon.com slash Blue Shirts Breakaway. Blue Shirts Breakaway. No ads. Where, by the way, you can listen currently to. Our Premier League preview with and? the one and only. Do you know Ray is now a BBC correspondent? Are you serious? Yeah, dead serious. He gets paid by the BBC. What? For yeah. for Southampton? Uh, specifically, yeah. Like the town or the team? The team. What? Yeah. That's sick. Yeah, Ray, Ray's big time in us, man. Wow, that's cool. He's, He's as lovely as always, by the way. Family's good. Kids are on break from school. That's good. And uh, it was really fun 
50-ish minute conversation about the Premier League coming up where we don't talk about Liverpool at all. That's awesome. For um, for for those that don't know, Ray, we literally met Ray. He listened to the show, and we went to Europe, and we actually went to dinner with him and his family and a Southampton game. Uh, which is fucking crazy that we did that. It's awesome. I will, and and the thing is, my first soccer game in England is going to be my best soccer game in England. It's not even close. No, the game not was only, unbelievable. <laughs> not only did Southampton win unexpectedly against Arsenal three to two, my favorite player of all time scored the game-winning goal. Like that's a it. Sweet header. Yeah, it was. And it, it, that's it. It's over. It was maybe one of the most exciting football games to ever be at for just like stupid Americans like us. Yeah, because Southampton scored first. And then Arsenal immediately scored. And all of us looked at each other like, listen, Southampton scored. That's all we really wanted. We're in heaven. And then Southampton scored again and again. Dude, when they won, it was the first time they had won at home in 18 months. Did you know that? (laughs) (laughs) It was the first, and we were there. The first time Uh, they had won in 18 months. uh, Just a phenomenal day. Phenomenal day. But yeah, Ray's good. That's up on Patreon, the Premier League preview. And also dropping later this week, Fitz. Our buddy Vinny, myself, we finally hashed out over Moneyball. Amazing. Amazing. All right, that was an ad. So that's good. Let's get to this five-star question I've kind of been saving for a couple weeks here. It's uh, it's one of those memes, like the pill memes, but I think it's really interesting. It's from Sorry okay. My Dude. It's five options. You could get to choose a pill. Option one, undo the Buchnevich trade. Option two, Zuccarello doesn't get injured in the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2015. Option three, the Rangers never signed those huge extensions to Stahl and Girardi. Option four, the Girardi for Stamkos deal goes through. Option five, the Rangers take Tarasenko over McElrath. Those are the options. I think so, it's pretty interesting because I, I think of, there's one clear the, winner. Well, of the options given, I think it's one clear winner. and We're going to agree that it's Zuccarello. It's right? not even close, dude. However, I still, my problem with options, I think it was option five. The, the McElrath one, one, Tarasenko one. Yeah. That's probably number the two. Problem, the, the problem with that is it wasn't Tarasenko. I understand it's easy for us to sit here in hindsight and say Tarasenko was the best player drafted after that Rangers slot. But that wasn't the player the Rangers were missing. The problem with the McElrath pick is Cam Fowler was right there. And that is exactly the kind of defenseman that New York Ranger team needed and was utilizing. He would have been the natural replacement for Strawman. He would have been an upgrade over Strawman. The New York Rangers would have been better. And you're talking about those teams – at the peak of their performance. And the way they were designed. And the way they were playing. Cam Fowler was so clearly the missing piece of those Ranger teams. So to me, if this question was asked, if it was just the two options, Zuccarello not getting hurt because you and I are confident they at least get to the Stanley Cup I final. think I, I've said this so many times. If Zook doesn't lose the ability to speak and take a puck off the head, they win the Stanley Cup. I yeah. really believe it. I truly but believe I also, it. But I also think a lot of things go different in a positive way in the King season and the lightning season, had they simply had Cam Fowler. And I, I, I truly deeply believe that to me, this is the Cam Fowler one is as clear as day as the great Met. What if, which is simply just don't trade Scott Kazmi because the Mets in 2006 were one pitcher short in the starting rotation. And that, that one pitcher was an American league all-star and one of the best young pitchers in baseball. And all they had to do was not trade him. And all the Rangers had to do was simply, if they wanted a defenseman, if they understood what this team was missing was a defenseman, all they had to do was take the right defenseman. And the problem was, it was always Fowler leading up to the draft, and then big old man Sather got it in his mind that he needed a big and tough to play against. And then it became McElrath. But Fowler was always the guy. And I think that, to me, if it was Fowler instead of Tarasenko, the only two options would be Zook and Fowler, and I'll be honest with you, Ryan, I'd lean Fowler because I do think 2014 goes differently and 2015 goes differently. The Rangers are just such a better, well-constructed team with Fowler. If Zook doesn't get hurt, it's easy to live in that one moment, but the team would still have its flaws. With Fowler, the team is as close to perfect as you could possibly imagine. Not, not going to get off my Zuccarello perch. I still have that number one, but I think I agree with you totally that that, that that's number two. Then the other three are, are to me, not like not really that big a deal. A lot of these three, like yeah, the, the, the Girardi I, the for Stamkos thing, like does that, that probably that changes everything. 
Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do that game. That would be like me saying if the Mets got Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, like if the like, Mets got Ken Griffey Jr., would they be different? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they'd, they'd be different. But also, like, would they have enough pieces to get Mike Hampton? Would they have to make sacrifices somewhere else on the roster? Like, you, you like get, Nash probably it, doesn't happen. Right. There are so many ripple effects to Stamkos that, like, it's in, it's the same thing with like the Eric Lindros trade back in like 1990. Right. Right. You don't know if the Rangers are going to get Messier. You don't know if the Rangers are going to have all the pieces that they have to win the Stanley Cup. You don't know what happens to guys like Doug Waite if they had to go to Quebec instead. Like, it, the ripples are so big that I can't sit here and say everything would have been hunky-dory. It's very possible they wouldn't have. Um, I'll be honest, my problem with Stahl and Girardi extensions, they were earned. Like, we all remember – what those contracts looked like at the end and our thoughts of Mark Stahl and Dan Girardi are tainted. feel mostly negative because it was so bad at the end. We forget how fucking good they no, were. No, they were very earned. Were they a little yeah. bit overpaid at the time? Yes. Probably. Yes. But at the same time, you it you it was you know what it's like? It's like the same problems people are having with Truba right now. Truba's a good player right now. You might think he's overplayed, but he's a good player. Those guys were in a similar boat, but they were integral to the Rangers success in those years I know a lot of it is Hank and Hank washes away a lot of sins but Stahl and Girardi deserved their flowers they did I get that it ended poorly I get we were making jokes at the end I understand all that but in the moment I don't think I had a problem with either um and then what was the last one the first- and, it, and this is truly last is under the Buchnevich trade yeah, I just don't. I, it is what it is. It is what it is. And could the Rangers got a first round pick instead? Yes. Would, yes. Would Would you rather have Buchnevich's five point five over four years right now, or would you rather have Trocheck over seven? That's an actual conversation. So, it, that's tough because I think, again, the reason it's tough is the conversation we wish we wouldn't be having. Where the reason it's tough is will. Lafreniere and Kako be giving the, the opportunity like with Buchnevich here only one of them would be really given the opportunity right yes. that's and like Phil Hedl would have to be given the opportunity a man we didn't even have oh I shouldn't spoil that yet uh, that hasn't come that's, out yet. hasn't come out but that BSBO uh, we figured BSBO, yeah, we figured, BSB Good Hangs 2 is an all-time episode we so. figured out the Phil Hedl conundrum in, <laughs> in Good Hangs that's all that's all we've really figured out and that's all we're going to say but like the reason the Buchnevich trade makes a little sense, just in terms of him no longer being here, is it does create clear openings for both Lafreniere and Kako to play in the top six, which anybody listening to this would be like, I agree. Our fear is that a coach is currently installed that might not give them that opportunity, but that's independent of Pavel Buchnevich. That is its own separate issue. The Buchnevich roster spot can be filled with a higher upside player than Pavel Buchnevich. Completely possible. And Vincent Trocek does so many things that we feel this team needs to do in order to replicate and surpass the success that they had last season. I I think the Trocek fit is better in the immediate term. I'm not thinking six years from now or three years from now. I'm thinking this upcoming season, the Trocek fit is better because it checks a box that Buchnevich couldn't, whereas Lafreniere and Kako can check a Buchnevich box. They have the ability and the talent to do it. In a nutshell, I totally agree with you. In a nutshell, these next two years, Trocek I'd rather have on the team than Buchnevich to play the style of Ranger hockey that they were trying to accomplish. But if you're yeah. like, what's the better contract? It's Buchnevich, and it's not close. Well, I, I also would say, who's the better player? I think it's Buchnevich. Yes, Though I do think it's close. But again, like the difference is if the Rangers went Buchnevich over Trocek, Strom still isn't here. And you're now asking Heedle to be 2C, Goodrow to be 3C, and you're going to have to make it work. Whereas now the what if we're playing is Kako and Lafreniere, we're banking on them taking the next step forward. That's a bet we all want to make anyway. And you have the safety net of having Trocek here in case Heedle can't replicate his playoff success. Your 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 floor is higher with Trocek, I think. And when you're a team as good with as high as aspirations as the Rangers have, the importance is raising the floor. 
the ceiling is already through the roof. But you needed the floor higher. And I think Trocek raises the floor more than Buchnevich. Hard to agree. All right, that's the only five-star question for this week. But I think uh, I rank him Zuccarello. I mean, not drafting Makarath as number two. I think I have the Stamkos Girardi thing just last. It's like, I have no idea. I probably have Vucinevich last, That's but funny. I would say that the Stamkos trade is second to last, and they're essentially in, they're on the same tier. Yep. Right? Yeah. I think we broke it down. Um, I don't have any other Ranger topics for the week. Do you want to get into the MLB trade deadline that happened last let's, week? Let's let's get into the MLB trade deadline that happened. If you week. don't care about baseball, we'll see you next week. Follow me on Twitter. Go Ryan Mead. You can follow Greg at Blue You've listened to us for this many years. You care about baseball for to a certain extent. Just you care about what we think about baseball. That's right. <laughs> uh, the Soto trade is an abomination. Horrible. Horrible. I don't... If I ever told you that Luke Voigt would get traded for Juan Soto, who is like already a generational player at 23 years old... You would have been I like, saw, excuse me? I saw the stat as the trade was happening, or right before the trade happened, that Juan Soto was younger than 12 players who appeared in the MLB Futures game this year. That can't be true. That's true. <laughs> that is that is a thousand percent true. That's a, one of those whoa facts. Uh, yeah. he's. <laughs> but he's so I broke this down on, on Twitter, and I'll repeat it. Uh, the original trade that included Hosmer would have been the worst trade in baseball history for multiple reasons. Number one. And we agree. We're, I know we agree on all these points, but number one, had the prospect package been all the Nationals got for Juan Soto alone, we all would have said it wouldn't have been enough. But at least we would have been like, they lose this trade no matter what because they're trading him. But this is probably the best they can do in terms of prospects, right? It was no. uh, I, apparently hand up. I don't know if I'm if I'm the Cardinals fan. I'm probably super pissed off this morning. Yeah, the Cardinals are fucking idiots. Well, I, you're gonna, you're really, you're gonna, you're gonna do, you're, you're gonna hold on to Dylan Carlson, that badly. Can we? If you have Juan Soto, you know who you don't need anymore. Can we float something out though, like a conspiracy theory? Sure. Is there a chance that Juan Soto said, "Hey, if you trade for me, I'm probably not gonna sign with you long term." I think there's a chance. So, the, the, but then, but then if you're the Cardinals, Brian, I don't want to trade my whole farm for him. Uh, but I'll also say, one, you trade your whole farm for three true shots at a world series, which is what you get with Juan Soto. And two, the Cardinals have a good relationship with Scott Boris. Do you think he signs long-term with the Padres? Then you're paying I think, a billion dollars, just, to, just in case you're wondering, to two players. I think if there's one team that isn't overly worried about whether Soto signs or not, it's the Padres. They just want these three shots. They, they want care. these three shots. They don't care. They, I don't think they, I think they care. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that it's of no concern to the Padres if they can keep Soto. But I think these three chances are more important than whether Soto is there for 15 years. See, I'm, if I'm Soto as well, like, hey, I'm playing on like a discounted salary for the next two years. I kind of want my deal now. Is that, a, is that an option? Like maybe um, I'll sign with the Padres for 10 years now. I mean, the Padres are definitely not adverse to signing guys before they enter free agency. Just see the Fernando Tatis contract. Yeah. So, I again, like, all the re- – I, I think the Padres obviously want to keep Soto. But I think the nuclear option of we only get three shots with this with Soto, I think that's enough for them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we only anyway. get three shots of Tatis and Soto. Good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Machado, by the yeah, way. Yeah, fun. Enjoy that. Shame they don't have like they're. That's a lot of faith they have in you, Darvish. That's all I'm going to say there. Um, It is anyway. Blake Snell as well. The problem with the trade, if it was all those prospects, prospects we like, by the way, we're big C.J. Abrams guys. I like Abrams. We're big Robert Hassel guys. I'm still a Mackenzie Gore believer. I like Wood. I know people like Susana, and I know James Wood is one of those nuclear prospects right now. He is all great prospects. Great, great prospects. Not enough for Juan Soto, but great prospects. If it was Soto for those dudes. You'd go, fine, whatever. Not a good trade. It's the best you can do. But you added Josh Bell, and you didn't get more. That's red flag number one. And then, and you, then you were taking back Eric Hosmer, you, he said and no. you weren't getting more. To me, the problem, if I'm the Nationals, and the, the hang-up that we saw yesterday is the Padres didn't want to include James Wood, and that's why the Nationals included Bell. If you have Juan Soto... You tell the Padres James Wood is in the trade or they don't have Juan Soto. And you know what the Padres eventually do? They include James Wood in the trade. 
That's what they do. Why is it that the Nationals bent first? And now I, the counter-argument that our friend was making is that, well, Josh Bell on his own would not have gotten you a James Wood-type prospect. Fine. He would have gotten you two other guys, and you still would have gotten James fucking Wood. Yeah, you, he was, James Wood was still coming because, I don't know if you know this, Juan Soto was getting traded. Well, yeah. And then, and then <laughs> still so that, that alone, if it was just that, which it ended up being just that, problematic. But then you agree to take Hosmer and you don't charge the Padres a tax for taking Hosmer? And Hosmer says no and he goes to Boston? Of Hosmer, the... Hosmer, big star of yesterday's deadline, by the way. What the hell is happening if you're a Red Sox fan? I have what? no idea. Are you? Are the Rays better because Hyam Bloom left? This is this is my new narrative, and I think the answer is yes. Because the Rays right now are injured. Like Kiermaier's done for the season. They didn't have a catcher. Uh, Wander Franco's had surgery. They their pitchers are struggling a little bit. Obviously, they have McClanahan. That, yeah, that's the, good. the the Rays somehow stuck their face in the Mancini three team trade and might have gotten the best player in that trade. Well, although he was like, you know, he just doesn't hit at all. But yesterday he makes like an amazing all-star catch. You're like, oh, actually, this guy's a Rays player. And they're going to teach him how to hit. He's going to be fine. It's, yep. Whenever the Rays – we say this all the time. If the Rays call you, hang up the phone and ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? It's like the, Ast- <laughs> the Astros were trading Jose Siri for Trey Mancini no matter what. And the Rays heard about it, called him up being like, Jose Siri is available? If I'm both teams, I just hang up the phone, Siri stays put, we figure out what the fuck's going on. Yeah, what's wrong? <laughs> Don't pick up on the race call. They always win trades. Always. Um, but yeah, the Soto the Soto trade, I think Abrams has all-star potential. I think Hassel has all-star potential. I think Mackenzie Gore is going to be a very good starting pitcher. But you no longer have Juan Soto. You don't win the trade. That's it. That's it's it. that simple. Well, let's talk about the local teams. Because I think the Yankees made some good moves and then some interesting ones as well. I, uh, I think the Yankees, up until about 5.30, were having an, an excellent deadline. The Montgomery trade is weird. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. But I think we need to talk about everything they did before that. Because the other trade we would have said was egregious, that it was now not going to be talked about probably at all, is the Luis Castillo trade. It was – we thought it was setting the market – but then we see every other trade that happens, and it becomes even weirder. It is weird. Because they traded legitimate top-tier prospects for Luis no, Noel, Noel, uh, Noel V. Mar- Marte is an amazing prospect. Just like He's, a guaranteed MLB shortstop at the low level. No he would have been, been hands down in my eyes the second best prospect in the Soto trade. And that's only because Abrams is one of those special guys. Like... You take Abrams out of the trade, Marte is the best of the bunch. Hard for me to disagree, yes. And Arroyo is another nuclear prospect. Probably on the same level as James Wood. Agreed. Uh, another kid that just came up and he's uh, hitting nonstop. Great. If the Padres had traded Robert Hassel, Mackenzie Gore, and James Wood for Luis Castillo, we all would have been like, what the fuck are the Padres we would have. There would have been protests outside the Padres stadium. And that's essentially what the Mariners did. Now, I know that we, you have to give the Mariners the benefit of the doubt because they want to make the playoffs desperately. That's very important. I get that. It's been 20 years. Totally understand that. But the difference between Castillo and Montas is I don't think there is one. To me, those guys are pretty much the same with the same amount of control. And in fact, if you wanted to go real deep on it, only one of them have had a four-plus win season, and it's actually Montas. I think uh, – listen, I think Montas is actually a pretty good Yankee too. I think, I think I think he's perfect. A ground ball pitcher for Yankee Stadium is everything you've ever wanted. They, they got him for nothing too. Like nothing. Yeah, uh, Waldachuk is fine, fine. right? But every team has a Waldachuk. The Mets have a Waldachuk. Like every team has it. So, I like, if you if that's the high headliner you're giving up, job well done. I – you, you would hope one day Walter Chuck becomes Frankie Montas, but the odds of that happening are low. I agree. Yeah, it's a, uh, so the Yankees, I thought, had a really solid trade deadline. Yeah. And then, they gave up nothing nothing for Benintendi, nothing. who checks a lot of boxes for them. Just they gave up They gave up an interesting guy that might maybe possibly probably not become the guy you acquired, who, by the way, you're getting for two years. Um, those, if they did just those two moves – 
Job well done. And then they moved Gallo for anything. Job well done. Okay, we just both agree that Gallo, as soon as he like puts a Dodger uniform on, is gonna like rip it up. Just, like, I don't know. I'm still waiting for Cody Bellinger too. So uh, no guarantee. Done. He's done so. He's not a Dodger next year. That's uh, I, the Gallo stuff, by the way, over the last week, sad. fucking heartbreaking. Sad. <laughs> I saw. Really I saw the sad. quote on deadline day where, uh, like, he was having another eeyore type uh interview with a reporter and the reporter asked like what's it like when you leave the house and he just goes i don't i don't and then someone tried to ask him questions i'm too busy packing before the trade deadline happened oh god it's yeah the gallo stuff i understand yankee fans are happy that he's gone but jesus christ like that's fucking heartbreaking let's get to montgomery then the mets and i gotta get out of here so uh, the Montgomery for Harrison Bader trade does not make any sense to me, like at all. Yeah, I don't get it. Me- Bader's like, in a boot. He's the, he's he's injured. Not just not just that, but in order to get it, it's multi level. In order to get um, Trevino and Montas on the roster, they had to put Severino on the sixty day, which means he's not pitching until mid September. So your depth in the road, and you traded JP Sears, who was a rotational piece, a depth piece for you this season as well and you don't have michael king so like the length that existed on this team in terms of depth that could slide in and eat innings it was down to montgomery and it's like i get that technically with montas montgomery is less important but all it takes is james jameson tyone to have another injury and all of a sudden you need jordan montgomery i know it's someone that needed around where you did not need where you don't have even harrison bader very now, strange. I guess the counter-argument, Ryan, would be that we can agree that the Yankees and the Astros have essentially clinched buys, right? There's no scenario, no logical scenario, we even agree. catastrophic injuries, where the Yankees are going to lose grip on that second spot. The, the, the Twins stink, and the Yankees are up in the division by 14 games. We agree. So you can make the argument that if you're the Yankees, you're really only planning to have a three-man rotation anyway, and are there any true true three-man rotations that will include Jordan Montgomery in the playoffs. No. So you can make the argument that if the rest of the regular season isn't important and Jordan Montgomery isn't going to be one of those guys in the playoffs for you, do you need Jordan Montgomery? No. At the same time, I feel like really good teams at least allow themselves nuclear options where something could go horribly wrong and I need this guy to start games for me. I have five minutes. Give me your Mets talk. The lefty reliever thing is curious. At the same time, none of them got traded. None. Of, well, Chafin didn't move. I think people are afraid of his six and a half million dollar player option, which is weird. Matt Moore didn't get moved, which is just fucking weird. That's strange to and, me. And like the the lefties, I like that most teams don't think about that have team control. Like AJ Puck didn't get moved. The the lefty reliever that got traded was Josh Hader, and I don't think. I don't know what the fuck the Brewers are doing. That's a conversation for another day. I'm not a hater guy just on a personal level, so I'm not going to sit here and say I wish the Mets got him. But, you know, the Mets could have beaten that package. The problem is the Brewers wanted a lefty reliever in return. It's very obvious. And the Mets don't have one to give them in return. So the Mets were out on that no matter what. Um, They have Edwin Diaz. So technically speaking, in a high leverage situation, it's Edwin Diaz facing Freddie Freeman and Juan Soto no matter what, right? So. On that level, I guess you can say you don't need a lefty reliever, but trusting the bridge to Diaz in games that are going to matter in the regular season as the Mets try to hold off the Braves, as Michael Givens, Adam Adovino, Seth Lugo, and Trevor May, Ryan, it leaves a lot to be desired. It does. Uh, But that's really my only complaint. I'm cool not bringing in a catcher. I've never been a big Contreras guy, as you know, and I still think the best option the Mets have is simply – if you're going to bring in a new catcher that's going to have to learn this coach pitching staff, just let it be Francisco Alvarez. You have him already. You don't have to give anything up for him. Like, if you have concerns of Contreras managing a pitching staff, those same concerns, you'd rather just give him the Francisco Alvarez and let him be the guy. Uh, and then I, I, lo- I love Vogelbach and Ruff as like a one-man band, two-man band to be one position. Right, lefty-righty. Yeah, they each do. I'm a big fan of organizations, and this is what the Rangers did at the trade deadline, Ryan. I'm a big fan of organizations who go out and acquire the players that do one thing incredibly well, and the team is only asking that player to do that one thing. All the Mets need is Daniel Vogelbach to hit the shit out of righties, and all the Mets need Darren Ruff to do is hit the shit out of lefties. That's Boom. it. They're not going to ask him to ever play the field. 
They're not going to ask him to ever be anything more than that. They're never going to ask him to be hitting higher than fifth in the lineup. All you have to do is hit your platoon split great. And Darren Ruff is, I think, sixth in all of baseball since 2019 against left-handed pitching in terms of OPS. And Daniel Vogelbach has a career 900 OPS against righties. Perfect. Great. Do this all the time. I'm a big fan of that. I don't care that it, the guys the Mets gave up are nothing. J.D. Davis, I got tired of it. The guy can't hit a high fastball to save his life. I know you got to go. That, that's it. I thought the Mets the Mets got a B-minus at the deadline. I think a lefty reliever would have pushed it to an A-minus. I do have to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening to our August sports episode, Trade Deadline. I thought we did a really great job breaking down the Eastern Conference. Uh, fun, fun times. We'll be back next week. If you, list, if you want to listen to BSBOT, Great Hangs Part 2 is out this week. It is amazing. Sign up to the Patreon. We've, we finally figured out how the Rangers value their players. It's, it's, <laughs> it's astounding. You can follow me on Twitter or I mean, you can follow Greg at Bush's Break. We'll be back next week. Love you guys. Bye. Okay, end of the show. Going to be sappy for just a minute and then name 72 names like I do at the end of every show where I mispronounce some names and I do it at a speed that is uncomfortable for everybody to listen to, but I appreciate you sticking around. It's the summer. I'm on vacation. I'm in the woods of Canada. Or I'm in the city of Montreal or something else uh, trying to enjoy myself. I think it's important for you to take time to yourself. I know over the past couple months for me, I've had uh, I've had some struggles, especially the Rangers playoffs, like juggling work and Bouchard's breakaway and everything else. So when you can and when you can get the chance, super important to reflect on what the hell you're doing with your life, <laughs> where you're going, and taking some time for you. Find ways to relax and get ready for hockey season. A lot of the time, hockey is relax season for a lot of people. And I get that. That's awesome. I can't do that sometimes because I get too amped up, get too into the game. I'm going to record this show, of course. But yeah, take some time to reflect on yourself. Get those extra days. I feel like the fourth day on vacation, those first two-ish days, like when you're taking a week-long vacation, you can't really relax. It's just like you're still in the zone. You're still in the... The throes of modern life. And then all of a sudden, you come back and it's uh, you're like, oh man, vacation. I got a couple more days of this. You could finally let yourself and your mind relax and uh, take care of yourself. See a mental health counselor. Do whatever you got to do. I did it. I went to therapy. It was dope. I, I recommend everybody try it. Uh, I also have, I have a master's in psychology. I guess I should say that. Not that I use it very often. Anywho, that's my vacation spiel. But without further ado, I'm going to name the NHL Insiders Club. Members, supporters, Adam Cohen, Adam Cretulo, Adam Keach, Alex Carter, Andy Terragata, Ben Waters, Ben Weber, Bill Rattel, Brandon Lacos, Brett McGinnis, Brian Doyle, Brian Gallagher, Brian Mellon, Broadway Blue Shirt, Bleeder, Chris Finelli, Chris Harrow, CJ Stellwagen, Conrad P. Demich, Daniel Dezen, David Nairn, and Dave, David Siegel, Dennis Dykes, Darian, Eric Stagg, Garrett Rainis, Garrett, Give Gardner Cup, Greg, Garrett, I thought I was going to hit, I was speedrunning this. I was like, man, I'm going to hit my world record. Sometimes I time how long I can do it. Uh, and I just, I would reset right now, but I have my thing. I have this thing where I don't re-record audio um, because I feel like you like it more authentic. Give Gardner a cup, Garrett, keep McFly, Harrison Hasco, Hip Hop 89, uh, Hollis Sauce, Ian Rodriguez, Ian Usher, Jake B, James Masker, Jilly, Jamie Filipponi, Jerry Marquez, JD, Jamie Mack, JJ Frankie, JJ, John Hardesty, John Shea, Johnny Thundercox, Jordan, Josh Keston, Bob, Justin Freeman, Chris from Florida, Christoph Berg, uh, late, oh, oh no. Late, oh no, Leshik! <laughs> I'm doing it. Leshik Gronowski, Luigi Ordano. Man, this would have, this would have been a bad speed run. Matthew Goodwin, the legend. Matthew Kind, Meatball the Cat, Neil Grover, Nicholas Dinacola, Pascal Perrier, Pavel Kojarev, Pro World of Tank Gamer, Randy Tesser, Sean Taggart, Stigbull Box, Swangard, Thomas Welsh, Tommy Sinclair, Thomas Jr., Tommy O'Neill, Tori Furman, Hatton, the original supporter, Upstate Vin, Vinny Brock, Vinny Hay, Will Specter, and Winston, the Golden Retriever. All right, that's it. I will uh, talk to you guys next week. Have a wonderful week uh, and enjoy the summer. Talk to you soon. Bye.